Last week, Vancouver police executed search warrants on the Drug User Liberation Front office and the homes of Dolph founders Eris Nix and Jeremy Callicum, resulting in their arrests. With us today is harm reduction advocate and Dolph co-founder Garth Mullins to help us gain a deeper understanding of what Dolph is and why this happened. Thanks for joining us, Garth. Yeah, happy to be here. Thanks for having me, Dan. When I saw this happen, immediately you you came to mind. So thank you for being available on such short notice. I think it was just yesterday I reached out to you. But um, before we dive into to what happened, I think it's important to talk a little bit about what Dolph is. Sure, yeah. The Drug User Liberation Front was formed by a couple of dozen of us, uh, of us sort of uh, seasoned activists back in 2020. Um, it was just as the first wave of the pandemic was cresting and the numbers of overdose deaths were just shooting through the roof here. And we realized that government was not going to help us provide a real uh, safe supply of drugs to people who are overdosing. And so we had to do it ourselves. Mm -hmm. And so Dolph was born. Um, That's right. Yeah. We started with uh, we started with a few days of action, like, um, you know, just in the street where we would uh, gather together a bunch of people, you know, people from the Vancouver area network of drug users and others down on the East Hastings and, you know, have some speakers explain what's going on and then um, give the drugs to the people who needed them. Mm -hmm. And uh, at first, when we did that, people couldn't even believe it. You know, they're well, like, what? People are giving away free drugs now? Drugs street? are expensive. Yeah. <laughs> and, and so not only are they free, but we ended up uh, for most of the last years since 2020 giving away tested uh, heroin, coke and meth. And that is tested with mass spectrometry so that we know there's no fentanyl or benzodiazepines or xalazine or just, you know, brick dust or detergent or rat poison or any other garbage in there. Mm hmm. Mm hmm. Joining us today in studio is co-host Donna Gilchrist. Donna, how are you? I'm well, thank you. <laughs> so, Hey, Donna. Hey, Garth. I'm glad you could be here today. No, me too. Thanks for having me. So in the article uh, I read, there was no clear description as to what a compassion club is. Can you fill us in? Because it seems media doesn't particularly want people to know. I mean, compassion clubs are a really old idea. And the way I know them from is when people who had HIV had to kind of club together and make a buyer's club to get a hold of the meds they needed, or uh, people who were using uh, weed for medicinal purposes uh, kind of club together in order to pool their money, pool their resources, and buy cannabis. And those clubs managed to operate in this kind of gray area while they were both in their time technically illegal. Uh, they were able to provide the the meds to the people who needed them. So uh, Dolph was just sort of using that same old model, a club mm -hmm. of people who needed, in this case, uh, heroin, meth, or coke, um, bringing, you know, between 40 and 50 people together to be able to access on a daily basis tested drugs so that they didn't have to go to the illegal and potentially toxic and deadly street supply. Mm. So this is common knowledge then. These compassion clubs have been around for some time. This isn't a secret. And 
further to that, I guess I'm I'm surprised there was only two arrests. You know, when 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 a, an establishment like that gets raided, surely there are more than than two people present. And from what I understand, the arrests that happened didn't even happen at the office. Is that correct? I don't know where the arrest took place. Um, the warrants to search the office and search a couple of apartments in East Vancouver and arrest uh, Jeremy and Eris happened all, <clears throat> you know, at the same day on the same or around the same time. And I think it's um, the police are sending a message, you know, they were showing uh, some examples. Um, <clears throat> but Jeremy and Eris have also been very brave. They're very courageous and they've been upfront about what they're doing. So they have told the world, this is what Dolph is. This is how we do it. Uh, my podcast, Crackdown, a couple of years ago has a episode that uh, where they both take us through the process of how Dolph works, how they obtain the drugs, how they test them. Mm. So the fact that they've been public, um, they've even like, uh, you know, testified in court about what they do. So the evidence is right there for the police. If the police want to know, Here's a couple of individuals that have essentially been obtaining, um, you know, uh, like um, a decent amount of drugs and then uh, allowing for the use by other people. Um, I guess that's why uh, the cops chose Eris and Jeremy. Hmm. Now, I'm just going to jump in really quick because I think in terms of this Compassion Club, we should maybe touch on the fact that not just anybody can walk in off the street. From my reading of some of the materials on the Dolph website, like there has to be an established pattern of usage. So some like 16-year-old who just wants to experiment can't just walk in and, and get his hands on whatever he wants. <laughs> Absolutely right. Yeah. Uh, on all of Dolph's activities, the drugs go to um, very small number of people. Like the Compassion Club is between 40 and 50 people. Um, Dolph has done distributions at other times to, you know, 30 people or 40 people who are members of Vandu. But in every case, the people are known. Uh, the people are long standing drug users with a habit that goes back, in some cases, many, many years. So, yeah, if you're just uh, new to drugs and you're 16, you're walking off the street. Um, no, you, you can't you can't obtain drugs that way. Mm. So. That you know what I'm just going to skip ahead here. I got a question that I'm going to expedite here. Uh, I was on LinkedIn the other day, and and speaking to this this exact concern, uh, there was a post I saw published by Giuseppe Gansi talking about regulated supply being diverted to children. Um, has there been any indication that this is true? Regulated supply is also. Uh something that the government would do right uh mm. like a prescription say for Dilaudid or something like that and i have heard uh you know giuseppe and, and and people like that say that um you know we sort of turn to the data that the centers for disease control and the coroner service of bc have and those data show that uh no uh there there isn't a a big upturn in um you know youth uh getting dope habits or um, in those kind of prescribed drugs being involved in the deaths that you see, uh, at the coroner, you know, so, mm -hmm. so in the morgue, when the coroner receives a body, they test to find out what drugs are in a talk screen. And it's always street drugs. It's always fentanyl or combinations of things. It's, I don't know that they have any cases where 
the causal the the drug that's causing the overdose is uh, from a regulated prescribed drug supply mm -hmm. so that's that's the prescription drugs i think mm -hmm. that giuseppe was talking about and giuseppe is part of the recovery industry who uh, you know make money and and run uh, businesses to have people come in and uh, have a stay and try and recover and all that so of course that's that's a different a different thing than harm reduction and he's been against harm reduction for a long time so i'm not surprised to hear him say it it is unfortunate that people make up things like that with no statistics can i say that um a 16 year old has never gotten a pill well i got <laughs> i got them when i was 16 i you know i went down to uh pill corner here and was able to buy pills you've been able to buy diverted pills in vancouver and all over the country for decades so mm -hmm. um you know i don't think that has anything to do with harm reduction and for the drug user liberation front drugs like the tested uh heroin um and coke and meth here let me see if i can find some yeah this is like um this is like a heroin uh, you know right like it in, comes in a, in a way, little package these I'm, I'm, aren't winding up with kids <clears throat> i am feeling a little bit honored that one of those actually graced the screens of hard knocks talks finally <laughs> <laughs> uh, for sure finally um <laughs> Well, look, I'll, I'll get it. I'll get it centered there. It says it says the uh, person. Whoops. The other percentages, way. Other way. Yeah. It says the percentages. Yeah. And um, you can see and, you know, it even has on the back and the sides. It has, uh, you know, like not for sale. It says mm -hmm. this is very hard for me to do. I don't know why. It's yeah. Everything's so. backwards. So it's. Yeah. Uh, anyway, you can see it gives the ingredients. It says not for sale. It has the mass spectrometry uh, specs of what's what's in it, you know, and this is like uh, in the 80 something percent diacetylmorphine, which is the fancy pharmaceutical chemical name for heroin. And, um, you know, it says uh, it even has warnings on the side, you know, like opioids can be habit forming, blah, 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 blah. The same warnings that you'd see anywhere. But this is packaged by people who when they're doing it, it's illegal, you know, mm -hmm. and, and they got arrested for it. So this is like taking drugs out of the illegal market, testing them, labeling them, and then giving them or, or to people like letting people obtain them who would otherwise be scoring from the street and would have no way of knowing what they're getting. You know, and, and I've heard an argument um, made and, and I, I don't know by whom, but it was by someone in, in Dolph saying that they are actually reducing the amount of money that's going into the illicit market by doing things the way that they're doing. Yeah, for sure. Right. If you buy in bulk, you are spending less. So mm -hmm. you're like not lining the pockets of all of the different layers. You know, when you're uh, distributing it to people at cost, uh, you're not making a profit like Dolph doesn't make a profit. Uh, Dolph gets private donations in order to get the drugs to begin with and um, charges the people in the Compassion Club who, you know, who are members of Dolph. They contribute money to uh, to do this enterprise as well. So um you know the whole the whole thing reduces greatly the amount of money that would be going into the pockets of organized crime i think they added it up and they have a statistic even of how much they they diverted think, from organized crime on their website i think it's around a hundred thousand dollars <clears throat> mm -hmm. mm. yeah. so um dolph applied for an exemption from the controlled drug and substance act or uh section 56.1 exemption correct mm -hmm. Uh, yeah. for these compassion clubs through Health Canada, and it was denied. Uh, mm -hmm. What was the reason that Health Canada gave for this denial? Uh, I, I can't remember. It was a while ago when I 
when I was aware of it, uh, it sounded very sort of technical and, and bureaucratic to me. And right away, they uh, sought to do a judicial review, which is to take the decision to court and challenge it. But it's Im did. important. Yes, that's right. Um, okay. And it's important to know that that we tried to get the exemption because we didn't want to be outlaws. We didn't want to do it illegally. We wanted to have legal standing from Health Canada, and that would allow us to go to a pharmaceutical company and purchase the drugs legally from a, you know, from a, a manufacturer, from a factory, mm -hmm. uh, instead of having to go source it from the dark web or whatever. Mm -hmm. that, that's our preference. But they said no. So they kind of forced us uh, into the situation we're in. Mm -hmm. And like, I can't help but wonder, you know, uh, Dolph has been around for a while. These compassion clubs, like I heard about them all the way out here in Saskatchewan. You know, they're not a secret. What happened that spurred this raid? Well, I'd say for the last year or so, there's been a growing uh, backlash to harm reduction and kind of a scapegoating of drug users across the country. Mm. Like the leader of the Conservative Party, Pierre Polyev, has been screaming and yelling about safe supply and harm reduction for quite some time, even in the House of Commons. We have uh, right wing politicians out here who are doing the same thing. You know, there are columnists in the national newspaper chains like Post Media who are decrying safe supply, who are putting all these rumors out that safe supply is causing the overdose crisis, um, not actually uh, not actually what the coroner will tell you, which is it's, it's not at all. So um, it was part of this big backlash that the police felt emboldened to go in and crack down on us. They thought there would be a public and political support for it. And, and there has been, you're right, there has been, or they were right, there has been political support for it. Mm -hmm. You know, um, the, the premier of BC was like, yes, this, you know, we had to do it, you have to obey the law. Um, <clears throat> and that's what it's fundamentally about for a lot of the politicians. But to me, you, we all actually have a duty of disobeying unjust laws. That's civil disobedience. That's how we got needle exchanges. That's how mm -hmm. we got um, uh, overdose prevention sites, you know, safe injection sites. Everything that's changed in drug policy over the last 30 years has come because somebody did it without permission first. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I, I was able to get methadone and that helped me. But the very first methadone clinic here in Vancouver decades ago, uh, you know, you had you had uh, right wing um, politicians and neighbors out picketing and protesting and not allowing it to open. So mm. there's always been a fight about this stuff and we've always had to break the law. And we're not the only ones, you know, um, before it was legal for women to vote, uh, women were breaking the law. You know, there are all kinds of laws in Canada that have been unjust and that people have broken the law and that's led to change. And it's not just drug users, it's every group that was wanting their rights has had to fight for them that way. So it was it was Van Du that that got the needle exchanges into legislation, isn't it? Uh <clears throat> needle exchanges came before Van Du formed, but hmm. there were people like John Turvey, who was a former heroin user himself, uh, who went around the downtown east side with a backpack full of needles that he had uh basically stolen from uh, the health, the healthcare place where he worked, and he was distributing them to people illegally. Mm. You know, so he was breaking the law uh, first, and eventually, that kind of action sort of twisted and embarrassed, twisted the arm of the government and embarrassed them into uh, allowing needle exchanges. Um, you know, Ann Livingston and and people like her 
opened uh, safe injection sites without permission and ran them on the downtown of Eastside for a few years before finally the government would allow Insight to open. Hmm. So it's it's always this way, you know, this is just the pattern it would seem. Hmm. So were either those people that you were talking <clears throat> about, were they ever actually arrested? Uh, no, uh, John Turvey and Adam Li and Livingston were not arrested for what they were doing. And uh, so we're seeing, um, you know, the, the, the government really and the police really digging in here and going after us in a way that they they haven't usually done before. Mm -hmm. uh, Jeremy and Eris have not yet been charged. They were arrested and, um, you know, the, the police are still investigating. The police have yet to make a recommendation to the Crown and the Crown has to accept that recommendation. And then I guess we'll know in January whether they're going to be charged or not. And they mm. could be charged with trafficking. So that's very scary for them. But then if they are charged with trafficking, our movements has to decide, are we going to make this a constitutional court challenge? Like, are we going to challenge this all the way to the Supreme Court of Canada on the basis that um, stopping us from organizing something like this Compassion Club basically abrogates people's uh, Section 7 and 15 charter rights, you know, to, to uh, freedom of the person and equality and that sort of thing. That'll be something for our movement to figure out. But I think that's one of the reasons why police in the past were sort of hesitant to arrest somebody like Anne because they knew that she wanted the arrest so mm. that then she could challenge the law. And, and once you challenge that law in the Supreme Court, you can get the law overturned, mm -hmm. but you have to have a case to get you there first. So, I mean, this could be the silver lining that this could lead to overturning of laws or, or redrafting of laws like the Controlled Drugs and Substances Act, if it's you know, found to be unconstitutional. I was talking with my friend, Dr. Barb Fornsler, this morning, and she was saying <clears throat> that uh, she doubts this will go to trial because they don't want that to happen. They don't want this to be overturned or challenged or anything like that. Because th th that would be a victory for police, right? Because right, effectively, they've shut down Dolph now. Yeah. So Dolph is like, it's still a membership, it's still an idea, but it is not an organization that's giving tested drugs to anybody. So those 40 to 50 people who were relying on, on you know, this lovely, delicious uh, tested heroin for the past year, um, they <laughs> are now delicious. scoring in the street uh, yeah. So uh, <laughs> and taking the risks. So um, it would be, the police would have had their mission accomplished, shut down Dolph, but then if they don't charge them, uh, they they don't then we don't get our day in court and so they kind of get they have their cake and eat it too mm. so are eris and jeremy currently detained no they were they were in jail for about 10 hours mm -hmm. and uh were released that night and you know i know you've been there dan i've been there but for people who haven't been arrested or haven't spent time inside it is actually a very not a very pleasant experience. Uh, no. So even to spend 10 hours there can uh, be quite scary for people. So uh, I'm I'm glad they they didn't have to stay longer and they were given uh, release, you know. Mm -hmm. um, were there any confiscations? Yeah, yeah, the police seized the drugs. Sizable amount? Uh, I don't know. Mm. Yeah, I don't know. Mm. So I'm going to jump forward to this uh, mention of the $200,000 grant to Dolph. Um, I find that very uh -huh. interesting because, and you've already talked a little bit about this, that the funding for the, the drugs 
comes from membership fees and private donations and these sorts of things. But it's interesting how the uh, the media, by and large, is presenting it like it was um, you like Dolph was using it to purchase the drugs from the dark web. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. but I think what you're saying is that that was absolutely not the case that it was actually used for what it was earmarked for that being testing yeah testing and running an overdose prevention site uh in the storefront down there on the downtown east side yeah that there was no public money no taxpayer money was spent on buying drugs that was all from donations and from members uh you know uh kicking in and the idea that that it was otherwise has been really pushed by this, um, you know, sort of conservative right-leaning uh, <clears throat> member of our legislative assembly, Eleanor Sturko, who keeps saying that we're spending government money on uh, drugs. And that helps her, right? Because her party's in opposition. So it helps her to say, oh, the, the government wasn't watching their pennies. There wasn't having control over the money. And that's not the case at all. You know, the the government uh, and the health authority have very rigorous control over that money. They know exactly where it goes. Like rent uh, in the downtown east side for a storefront is quite expensive. You know, running a mass spectrometry that's that costs money. Staffing an overdose prevention site that costs money. So, um, you know, the fact that it was two hundred thousand dollars a year—that's actually not very much in the grand scheme of mm-hmm. of government spending. And you know, it's very controlled. You can't just take government money and convert it into cryptocurrency and go onto the dark web. It just, it just doesn't work that way. And I believe that um, Eleanor Sturko, this uh, MLA, would know that. But she is getting a lot of um, political points, I think, for um, just continuing to peddle this falsehood, you know. Mm. Well, so on top that of money that, was, continue uh, to push for uh, prioritizing treatment and recovery as opposed to harm reduction strategies. And like you mentioned, it's very much under attack right now. Mm-hmm. And that money was uh, was cut off from Dolph within hours of Eleanor Sturko, the MLA, making this point. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, it was about eight hours later after she wrote a letter to the Solicitor General or whoever it was, Attorney General or something of, of BC. Very quickly, uh, the money was cut off. Uh, so that was it. You know, um, the money's cut a couple of weeks later. The arrests happen. Uh, Dolph's gone, and the members who were relying on those tested drugs are now in peril. Was there any supporting evidence along with this letter, or was this just slanderous and propaganda? It looks slanderous and propaganda to me. I worry it also mentioned the Vancouver Area Network of Drug Users, Mm -hmm. and uh, we have invited uh, Eleanor Sturko to come by and to see what we do. Uh, The books are open. You can see where the money goes. Uh, she, she hasn't, her office hasn't done that. So I don't believe that she's really, um, genuine in her interests about any of this. I think she's just found something like lots of politicians have found scapegoating drug users, scapegoating people who are trying to help us. That always seems to get votes, fear mongering to scare voters. It's an old game, you know? Mm -hmm. So in light of all of this, will compassion clubs continue? Well, uh, the Drug User Liberation Front is not operating right now. Uh, Our movements are uh, regrouping. 
I think that uh, drug users have to organize and our allies have to organize across the country because we're not the only people imperiled. This backlash is coming for everybody. And it's not just about uh, a compassion club like Dolph. It's about prescribed safe supply. You know, like anywhere where people are prescribing Dilaudid, that's uh, under attack. Harm reduction in general seems to be under attack. Uh, safe mm -hmm. injection sites are prevented from being opened or closing in British Columbia. It's across the board. So on Friday at 1230 here uh, on the downtown east side of Vancouver, we're going to gather at Maine and Hastings and have a big rally to support Dolph, to support safe supply, to support harm reduction. People can go to their website, dulf.ca, and it says there how you can um, how you can donate, how you can participate, how you can support uh, the action. But it really depends. You know, it just depends on whether we're able to bring enough organization and muscle to bear. Uh, but I am worried and I'm worried for uh, other people across the country. I'm worried that we're going to see more arrests. I'm worried that this is just the beginning. Hmm. Anything else? Uh, if you want to learn more about this, we break it down in uh, on Crackdown. We have an episode called Backlash, which you can listen to. And uh, we're going to be covering these things as we go along. Uh, Crackdown is a podcast about the drug war made by drug users around the Vancouver area network. Where can people find hosted it? Hosted by me. Uh, crackdownpod.com or just search Crackdown anywhere where you get your podcasts. Awesome. All right, Garth. Thanks so much for joining us. And um, Thanks, I'm both sure. of you. Uh, keep up the good work and stay safe. Keep six. All right. Take Thank care. Thank you. Same to you.